In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a really, really cool town that grew from one place, a textile mill. And today's episode is a listener suggestion. So Mark, here you go. I'm giving you Kannapolis. Welcome to the NC Everything Podcast, a weekly show where I talk about everything that has anything to do with North Carolina. I'm your host, Curtis, and this is episode 75. Now, before I get started, um, I want to let my listeners know that I'm recording this uh, with my cell phone for YouTube. Um, It will be my very first um, YouTube episode of the podcast if I decide to to put it out. Um, And I guess uh, I'll let you know if I do. But uh, because I, I'm, I'm trying to record for YouTube, the, the show may be a little different. Um, at some point, I may say something to the, the viewers, and at some point, I may say something to the listeners. And that's uh, that's really all the housekeeping I, I think I need to do for this episode. If you are listening, uh, my chair is kind of squeaky. Um, I'm using a lapel mic that I'm trying to get used to. So, um, so that may sound a little weird there. We're going to work that out. But anyway, let's go ahead and uh, get into the content. Like I said, this is a, a listener suggestion. It came in from, from Mark from Richlands. And um, we're talking about Kannapolis, North Carolina. So this story starts in Concord, North Carolina, with a company called Cannon Mills. Now, Cannon Mills was opened in 1887 by a cotton broker named James William Cannon. And this company, they made all-purpose cloth for, like, kitchens and bathrooms and the company cost about $75,000 in 1887 money to open up. And they started out with 4,000 uh, yarn yarn spindles or, you know, uh, obviously I don't know much about the business, but they had, they had 4,000 spindles. So you can see that uh, it wasn't a, a small company when it opened. Now, even though they were founded in 1887, um, they spun their first yarn in April of 1888. Now, it was customary back then for companies um, and mills to spin the yarn, and then they would send these loads of yarn um, off somewhere else, usually up north, and at that point, they would uh, manufacture linens, sheets, towels, what have you. But Cannon Mills decided to do something different. Um, They did the whole process right there. They would spin the yarn and then make their their all-purpose cloth right there on site, kind of like a a one-stop shop, I guess you could say. Now, what they were making at Cannon Mills was considered simple fabric, but um, they they became aware that factory sewn fabrics were kind of taken over, and so what the the folks at Cannon did, they got away with all their all purpose cloth and they focused just on towels. Now, uh, dumping all your other business and and just going exclusively to to bath towels, it seems like a, a weird thing to it seems like a weird thing to do, but but actually uh, it worked for them. And so in 1890, they began making their first round of towels. Now, early on, the towels that they were manufacturing were called a flat weave. And the way the flat weave worked is the towel itself wasn't, um, was, wasn't entirely complete. And so um, when they were purchased, the idea was that the housewife, um, and remember, this is a, a different time, but the housewife would complete the towel. She'd finish sewing it and then, or cut it to the length that she wanted and then, and then finish sewing it. Around 1900, there was this new cloth that was 
coming into existence, and it was known as Turkish cloth or terry cloth, and it was uh, supposed to be uh, a lot more absorbent than a, a regular bath towel. And terry cloth became even more popular during World War One, and so by the end of World War One, uh, Cannon Cannon Mills they were one of the largest producers of towels in the world. By the end of the war, Cannon was one of the largest producers of towels in the world. Now, before World War One. Uh, James Cannon had already opened up the Caribous Cotton Mills in 1892, Patterson Manufacturing Company in 1893, the Kessler Manufacturing Company in 1895, and the Gibson Manufacturing Company in 1901, and then Coleman Mills opened up in Concord in 1906. So as you can see, they were already a, a, a rapidly growing company. Now let's talk about that uh, Concord plant that opened up in 1906. In 1906, James Cannon bought 600 acres of land about seven miles north of Concord. And on this 600 acres, he planned to build a community, and this was going to house the employees for the, for the cotton mill that was in Concord. And this community was going to include a, a whole bunch of rental houses and even a school. And the reason I say rental houses, um, a lot of people don't know this, and I don't know if James Cannon was doing this. He probably was. But what would happen is a mill would open... And then they would build a bunch of houses and they would rent the houses to the mill workers. So yes, the mill workers would get paid, but then the mill workers would need to pay their rent. And since the mill owned the houses, the money went right back into the, the pocket of the mill owner. And that sounds kind of shady, I guess, but uh, it was a symbiotic relationship back then. And also nobody was going to get rich working in a mill. Um, I work in a factory myself and uh, I'm not going to get rich um, working there. I'm doing okay. I've survived. I'm, I'm happy, but, uh, I'm never going to be the, the head of a major corporation from, uh, working at a factory. Now in 1907, the first, uh, cannon mill buildings in Concord were finishing up. And at this same time, he, uh, James Cannon started building his, his business district, um, in this 600 acre area. Now, the business district was going to contain Kannapolis Square, which was located at the at the intersection of Main Street and First Street. But there was also going to be a, a furniture store, drug store, grocery store, um, and and a general store. And on the second floor of these these businesses, that's where there would be legal and medical offices. Now they also had some uh, impromptu churches located on these second floors. But in 1910, the YMCA Auditorium was opened, and eventually the churches would be held there on Sunday. But that YMCA building wasn't used as the YMCA building for very long because in 1925, they built the new, y, the new YMCA building. And this particular YMCA, and that's a, a lot of times saying YMCA, but this particular YMCA would become the home of the YMCA, so it would become the, the, uh, the YMCA with the largest membership in the country and as everybody knows in 1929 we started the great depression well i don't know if james cannon could kind of sense something was going on but the year before in 1928 he consolidated nine of his textile plants into the cannon mills company and uh this was really the sole reason that Cannon survived the great depression now even though the the country was going through the great depression a lot of people were suffering um, downtown Kannapolis, it was growing and it was booming, and a lot of a lot of stores moved in. There's a lot of activity down there. Some of the stores you may recognize the names of: um, Belks, Woolworths, and Montgomery Ward. 
and Montgomery Ward was four, four stories tall, and it was the tallest building on Main Street. Now, my dad, um, he's been a truck driver his whole life, and he used to deliver for Montgomery Ward. He He's told me a few stories. Um, I was born in 83. I don't know if Montgomery Ward was still around at that time, but um, by then, my dad wasn't driving for them anymore. And also, I, I live in a, a really old house, and there's a lot of old storage here. And uh, I was going through some old catalogs one time, and I, I did see a Montgomery Ward catalog. And um, I know I'm kind of strange, but I love going through old Sears catalogs, and uh, that Montgomery Ward catalog was was really interesting. You know, see some of the some of the things you could buy back then, and and the cost of them. And if you uh, if you ever looked at old catalog, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In 1936, the Gym Theater was opened, and uh, the Gym Theater is is pretty well known in Kannapolis. Now, it burned down in 1942, but after World War II, it was uh, rebuilt and reopened in 1948. And today, it's the oldest single-screen theater in the country. And since I'm talking about fire, in 1937, that new YMCA building that they built in 1925, well, it burned down. But in 1940, they finished building the third YMCA. Now, James Cannon died in 1921, and his son, Charles Cannon, inherited the company, and he had a bunch of new ideas. And these ideas had come from his wife. They had gone up and visited Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia, and she kind of liked the way things looked, so she said she wanted to kind of recreate that in downtown Kannapolis, and Charles Cannon complied. And a lot of it, I think, was just changing the architectural style of the existing buildings, but by 1944, uh, downtown looked completely different than the way it had under his, his dad's um, oversight. Now, one thing that I, I found that was pretty cool, in 1944, uh, they, they made a, a memorial to the servicemen and women who were in the military and Red Cross. And they built this memorial to look like Mount Vernon. Now, they put this memorial in a park near a lake. And it stayed in this park until sometime in the 70s. Now, also in the 1940s, Cannon Boulevard was opened. Now, this would eventually be called US-29, but after this uh, bigger highway opened up, at that point, it was the first time that businesses started opening up just outside of Kannapolis. Now, in the 1960s, they started tearing down some buildings to, to make room for parking lots, and uh, these buildings include a few, a few Belk stores that they had down there, but also they created a new shopping area called the Midway Shopping District. Now, also during this time, Cannon Mills was expanding again. They bought out Maiden Knitting Mills in 1969 and the Wiscasset Mills Company in 1978 and the Beacon Manufacturing Company in, oh, and also 1978. Now, during the 80s and 90s, the, the ownership of the mill changed hands a, a couple times or two or three times. In 1982, there was a guy named David Murdoch and he was a industrialist from California. Well, this guy Murdoch, he bought 9.4 million shares of Cannon Mills for $44 per share. And after this was all done, he owned about 98% of the company. And once Murdoch uh, got control of the company, he kind of reorganized how it was set up, and he redesigned the, the product line. And the thing is, if you own Cannon Mills, then you essentially own Kannapolis. And he was aware of this, so... He had some uh, plans for changes downtown too. He renovated the business district. He built a, a senior center and he uh, he designated several acres for parkland. 
he also sold several of the houses that um, initially were up for rent. He sold those, and he tore down the YMCA. Um, so that, that YMCA just, it can't get a break, it seems like. And he also had this idea for something called Cannon Village. Now, Cannon Village would eventually be made up of uh, a bunch of small shops, but then some larger retail stores. And these stores, they sold textile products. So, again, keeping the money going back to the company. Now, during this whole time, Kannapolis just kept on growing. Now, also in 1984, the Oak Avenue Mall was built. And it was, the, as far as I know, it was the first mall in Kannapolis. Another thing that happened in 1984 was that the first phase of Cannon Village was done. Now, it says it cost them about $25 million. They put up brick sidewalks. They put up benches, uh, street lights, and planters with trees in them. Um, all the utility lines went underground. They worked on crosswalks. They made storefronts look a lot nicer. And so uh, so downtown got a, got a makeover, essentially, uh, another makeover. And even though I said that in 1984, Kannapolis was the largest unincorporated city in the United States, it was in 1984 that Kannapolis finally became a city. Now, the thing about being un unincorporated... Um, is if you're unincorporated, the county pretty much takes care of, of you. But now that Kannapolis was its own city, it was in charge of its own water and sewer. It also had to take care of its own roads. Um, it had to provide a police department and a fire department. And in 1985, Cannon Mills was up for sale again. It was bought in 1986 by Fieldcrest Mills Incorporated, and they were out of Eden, North Carolina. Now, they bought the company for $250 million, and this came with uh, 12 plants and 14 sales offices, and they changed the name of the, the, the business to Fieldcrest Cannon, Incor Fieldcrest Cannon Incorporated. Now, by this time, Cannon Mills wasn't just doing towels. They were also doing home furnishings, and so when uh, Fieldcrest came in, they upgraded the place and, and brought in some new equipment. And so, uh, around this time, they became the largest manufacturer of home furnishings in the world. Also, in 1986, they built a road that circled the, the downtown area, and this was known as the Loop Road. And um, the Loop Road got to be pretty famous in Annapolis. In the 1990s, the Montgomery Ward building was demolished. And um, I had said that I was born in 83, and I don't know if they were open um, at that time, I still don't know if they were still open in 1983, but uh, the building in Kannapolis was tore down in 1990 or in the early 90s. Then in 1997, the mill was sold again. Remember, um, after Fieldcrest bought it, it became Fieldcrest Cannon. Well, in 1997, Fieldcrest Cannon, which was purchased by Pillotex Incorporated, and Pillotex they made stuff for Ralph Lauren, Martha Stewart, and Disney. So you think that uh, when they paid $700 million for Fieldcrest Cannon, that it wouldn't make a dent in their piggy bank. But um, you would be wrong, I guess, because in 2000, Pillotex filed for bankruptcy. However, it was also around this time that a lot of the textile business went overseas. And in June of 2003, Pillotex closed its doors for the final time. They laid off 4,800 workers. This was the largest single layoff in North Carolina history. Today, the Canon brand is owned by the Iconics brand group, but that's just the name of the company. Um, they don't own the actual mill building itself, or none of the mill buildings. Um, remember David Murdoch, who had bought Canon Mills earlier in this story? Well, in 2004, 
he uh, bought the property back at auction. And again, he had big plans for this area, but he wasn't going to try to to revamp the mill. That that was a thing of the past by this point. He wanted to build a $1.5 billion scientific and economic project called the North Carolina Research Campus, not to be confused with Research Triangle Park. So what he does, he tears out all the old buildings and he builds this research campus where the buildings used to sit. And this research campus that he built, it includes the Rowan Caribbean Community College. And today, his whole goal is for this research campus to be kind of a centralized area for scientific minds to work on uh, health, nutrition, and agriculture, and probably anything else that comes up. And that's all I have on uh, Kannapolis, North Carolina. I will say, Dale Earnhardt was born in Kannapolis, um, and that's going to be a, a story for another episode. I'm, I'm going to take a deep dive on him and, and give, uh, give Dale Earnhardt an exclusive episode. I think he's earned it. Um, but I know that was kind of a short episode, but that was a listener request. And as you know, if you send me a, a request, I'm going to do my best to, to get on it and, uh, and get it out there for you. I don't care how long it is. And if you want to request an episode, you can go to www.thenceverythingpodcast.com backslash contact, and you can get a hold of me there. And uh, if you have an idea for an episode, don't, uh, don't be afraid to send it. You can also contact me in the Facebook group by searching The NC Everything Podcast on Facebook. And if you like this show and you want to help out, um, the best thing you can do is like, subscribe, and give me a rating wherever you're listening to the podcast. Oh, and if uh, if you do like this episode and you want to listen to some of my other episodes, you can do that at the website, www.thenceverythingpodcast.com. I'm a little uh, um, discombobulated today. I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm doing my first recording. I don't know if I'll post it. Um, like I said, I'll let you know, but... It's uh, it's definitely different trying to talk on my computer and, and watch the camera too. I, I know you're not there, but I'm trying to make some eye contact with you. But I'm uh, trying to get a feel for all of it. Hopefully this will get a lot smoother as we go along. And um, I think I covered everything. Uh, thanks again, Mark, for, for suggesting this episode. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from ArchesAudio.com and FreePD.com.